0: So this is a uh, a challenging and I think um, very germane, appropriate passage for us tonight. Uh, in I don't mean for us just in this room, but uh, for our time frame where we are culturally right now. So this is what the Apostle Paul writes. This is 2 Corinthians 6.14-18, and this concludes the chapter. And my goal, of course, is to finish that tonight. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Belier? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So <clears throat> um, going back to last week, in verse 13, the apostle Paul had admonished the Corinthians to open wide your hearts also. Um They were being deceived and they were being um, separated from Paul by these false teachers, right? And Paul said, hey, we still love you. Why don't you love us, essentially? So he was admonishing them to be reciprocal with their affection. Um, He said, basically, we love you. Why don't you love us? But in verses 14 through 18, which I just read, the apostle adds a cautionary admonition to this. Don't open your hearts to just anybody. In fact, don't get into any kind of close relationship with those who are outside of Christ. You know, we need to be careful who we connect to, right? We need to be kind to everyone, loving to everyone, but we need to be very careful who we become dependent upon for fulfillment, happiness, and so forth, right? Um, So he starts off by saying, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, this is an agricultural reference, right? Um, Paul's talking about, when two oxen were tied together to the same plow they needed to be equal in strength and size or the farmer wouldn't be able to plow a straight row okay just think about that you've got two animals you've got you know a yoke goes over the neck of the animal right and then it goes back with some straps and there's a plow that digs into the ground so if you got one ox okay that's, that's one thing. You just kind of direct the plow. But <clears throat> if you've got oxen, two, or two different animals, okay? So for example, in Deuteronomy 22.10, it says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoke together. Okay, so you're not agricultural folk, but which is stronger, an ox or a donkey, no, an ox would be stronger than a donkey. They're huge. So what would happen is you have this donkey over here and this ox over here. Okay. Or we'll reverse them. But I'm just putting, I'm for the sake of argument, I'm putting the ox on my left. Okay. And then here's the plow back here. So they've got a yoke on them and they're pulling, pulling, pulling. Well, the ox is going to be stronger. So it's going to pull. Okay. the left side is gonna pull. And the right side is not gonna pull as much. So what's gonna happen with my plow? My plow is gonna to try to turn to the right, right? Because this ox on the left is pulling harder. So it makes sense. Um, there may also be uh, an analogy concerning purity. The Old Testament law had numerous statutes against mixing different kinds of things, different types of things. For example, we read this in Leviticus 19, 19. You are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment upon you of two kinds of material mixed together. Well, we wear garments with, two kinds of material all the time you know poly cotton blends are it keeps the cotton from shrinking right well the israelites were to maintain singular devotion to yahweh they were to be separate from the idolatrous nations which surrounded them and in some cases uh which remained within their borders um commandments not to crossbreed their cattle, not to plant more than one kind of seed in the same field and not to wear a garment that blended two kinds of fabric were likely symbolic of singular devotion to Yahweh. Most importantly, God's people were not to marry outside of Israel because other nations worshiped false gods. So this wasn't uh, some form of racism. It was simply an understanding that Um, different nations had different gods. So Yahweh was unique at this period of time, right? Um, God had chosen to reveal himself and his nature to this particular people. But all around them, they worshiped these false gods, right? They worshiped idols. Um, They worshiped multiple gods. And so God said, I don't want you to marry these people, Because what you're going to do is you're going to bring the worship of their gods into your your community. So this is what it says in Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they're racially impure. We want to maintain the master race. No, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. So King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, still had a libido, right? He was still drawn after, you know, desire and so forth. But beyond that, his wisdom was also worldly wisdom. David conquered people with war. Solomon married into all of these different nations. So they didn't want to fight against him because they were related to him. So Solomon had 700 wives. That's awful. 700. And 300 concubines, which was basically like being a wife without all of the privileges, but you still had intimate involvement with this individual, right? And the scripture is very plain. This turns Solomon's heart away from the Lord. That's why the Lord said, don't intermarry with these people. It wasn't a racial thing. It was a religious thing, if you will, right? Um, This is why don't be unequally yoked applies to dating and marriage. Listen to what it says. This is First Kings, excuse me, 11, 1 and 2, and also verse 4. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. So it highlights the fact that he married Pharaoh's daughter as a way to ally himself, ally, to make an ally of Egypt he married Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So apparently, not only was this worldly wisdom, hey, I don't have to you know, have bloody wars with these people, I'll just marry into their families but he was just had some serious libido issues right? Um, First Kings 11:4 says as Solomon grew old, you would think as he grew old his libido would wane nope as he grew old his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. So, in what ways does this apply to relationships between a believer and an unbeliever? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't become dependent upon an unbeliever, emotionally, financially, or socially, or in other ways, Don't take counsel from an unbeliever. They're not drawing from the same well as you are. Talking about counsel, avoid sessions with a professional counselor who's not biblically based or in a group counseling situation that fails to confess Christ. AA is a good example of this, right? Alcoholics Anonymous follows Christian principles, but they don't follow Jesus. They talk about having a higher power, but they refuse to say that that higher power is Christ or even God. So ultimately, there is effectiveness among those who commit themselves to AA because of the accountability and so forth. But if you're a believer, if you believe in Jesus, you know the answer. I I have heard those that go to AA meetings say, if your higher power is a jar of peanut butter, then it's going to help you. What kind of stupidity is that? I'm sorry, that's profound foolishness. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and people, God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for all, testimony given at the proper time. Okay, so the principles behind AA are, you know, our lives have become unmanageable, We can't handle this addiction. We're out of control. We admit that we need this higher power to help us. But if the higher power doesn't exist, what's the point? It's just an illusion. It's a delusion. The only thing that helps those who refuse to confess Christ is the accountability. They get a sponsor. The sponsor keeps them from continuing to go down that path. Okay, But dependency upon a higher power that doesn't exist is utter nonsense. It's foolishness, right? Now, I'm not trying to disrespect AA. I'm trying to help people understand that the principles that AA draws from come from the Oxford Revival Movement. And those folks believed in the one true living God. And that's who you and I need to believe in. That's who we need to follow. And we don't need to be aligning ourselves or allying with, those who don't believe in this God. So do not date and certainly do not marry a non-believer or even a weak believer. Do not be bound legally or enter into a business partnership with an unbeliever. Um, We had a man that was uh, a part of our church in the early days who was a, a businessman. He helped our church out a lot. And he was in a partnership, a business partnership with an individual who, I don't know what this person's profession or confession was, but they certainly were not following Christian principles. This business partner that our member was involved with, and this individual ended up cheating our church member out of a lot of money and causing him to have to declare bankruptcy. Listen, you can profess that you believe in Jesus. There's all kinds of folks that, you know, they say they're Christians and all this, but they don't follow Jesus. They don't follow Christian principles. Um, in that same time period, um, the early days of the, the, the start of our church, um, I was doing video work. And uh, I had a partner in that who really was the man that got me into it. Um, who was the technical side of it I was kind of the artistic side of it and another member of our church was involved with this couple who were on uh, they were in they were into uh, Christian broadcasting they weren't uh, so there's two main Christian networks that are um, I guess have the the largest following there's TBN which you probably heard of Trinity Broadcasting Network. And their headquarters, I think, or one of their headquarters anyway, is um, over in the Mid-Cities area. And uh, then there's another, uh, and I can't even remember the name of this network uh, right off the top of my head. Um, But this couple were involved with the other network. And uh, they had, this was still in the time period where um, videos, uh, excuse me, music videos were popular, right? So, um, uh, you know, you remember the early days of music videos when that was like, you know, a really big deal. MTV, does MTV still exist? But they don't play music videos anymore, do they? No. They don't. I mean, you know, when I was younger in the 80s, that's it was MTV was music videos all the time, right? Well, this couple had a show where they had music videos and then they had, you know, commentary and variety and so forth in between the videos. So they needed someone to film the variety section and really to, you know, just to put the whole show together. So a friend of mine who was a part of this church in the early days said, hey, why don't you do that? I'm like, okay, sure. Doesn't sound very difficult to me compared to some of the other stuff we were doing. So we went to various locations. We went to their home at one point in time and uh, we filmed the variety. Hey, we're here and blah, 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 and yada, yada, yada. Okay. So they're supposed to be Christians. This is on a Christian network. They never paid us. Every time I ever met with this group, this couple, they were at least one hour late, an hour. There's a degree of just utter disrespect bordering on contempt, but they claimed to be Christians. At one point, the woman so drastically disrespected me while we were filming that I wanted to just take everything and go home. But see, the golden rule says what? Treat others the way you want to be treated, not treat others the way they're treating you, right? If we treat everybody the way they're treating us, then, you know, it's just a a never ending downward spiral. These people were terrible, morally, ethically. They were terrible people. I can't remember what we were uh, what we were charging for this. You know, I mean, it wasn't very much money compared to what they would have been uh, charged, but they paid us one time and not even the full amount that they were supposed to pay us. And yet we were still supposed to show up and film these episodes when they were an hour, an hour and a half. One time they were two hours late. Why in the world did I subject myself to this? I don't even know, right? I relate this story to you though, because I want you to understand that there are plenty of people who claim to be Christians, Bop, 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 bop. But their lips are just flapping, right? As they say, the proof is in the pudding. What are you doing? Not what are you saying? Your actions need to align with your words. So this is another way to understand, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked with pretend believers or with those who are not following Jesus. Then he says, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? So, interestingly, um, the two words that are used here, um, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and what fellowship has light with darkness are very similar to one another, okay? Fellowship is the word koinonia and it means participation, but it can also mean to be a part of something. So the Apostle Paul is using a variety of words that refer to connectedness between um, unequal parties. So it could be the case that the people who reject God are doing so because they reject his control over their lives. So I'm not going to get you to raise your hand or be verbal about it, but do you have a relationship with friendship with, connection to anyone who is overtly an atheist, or sometimes we would say an agnostic. This is someone who doesn't deny the existence of God. They simply say, well, who knows? Okay. Do you have a connection to anyone like that? Well, in our culture, our society, in our world, there are increasing numbers of people who have moved that direction. So we may have associations or affiliations with these folks. What the apostle Paul is saying here is don't be connected to them, aligned with them, allied with them, right? Not don't, you know, be kind to them, courteous and so forth, but don't put yourself in a dependent relationship with these things, right? Those that are professed atheists, maybe doing so because they reject God's control over their lives, not because they don't actually believe there is a God. They just don't want him telling them what to do. They want to be their own gods. And this kind of self-centeredness is at best unstable, and at its worst results in all kinds of evil. Here are a number of quotes from the scripture. Every man did what was right in his own eyes, for there was no king in Israel. There we find that in the book of Judges. Um, there is a way that seems right to a man or to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. This is one of the scriptures that I have our karate kids memorize. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. That's in Psalm 14.1 and it's repeated in Psalm 53, one. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision. Okay. Well, let's look at how the New Living Translation states that or translates that. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. That's exactly where we are as a nation today. Everybody just does what's right in his or her own eyes. They just run around and make it up as they go along. Right? This is the um, outcome of atheism. There are many professing Christians who do not live according to their faith. And a believer should relate to such people in the same way as she or he would an unbeliever. In fact, The trust level might be lower because a hypocrite is a living lie. The Apostle Paul dealt with this very idea in 1 Corinthians when he commanded the church to excommunicate a man who was having sex with his father's wife. It's been some time since we studied this passage, but this goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read chapter 5, verse 5, and then 9 through 13. This is the New America Standard Bible. The Apostle Paul writes, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the Apostle Paul has not given up hope in this individual, but he's saying that this person is following the devil, not Christ. Then verses 9 through 13, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. So you have to have affiliations and associations with a variety of people, or you end up being, you know, a monk or a nun and moving to the backside of the desert, not having a relationship with anyone. Right? He says, but actually that is the apostle Paul writes, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother that is a purported Christian. If he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. This is the nature of our relationship with those who do not follow Christ, even if they say they do. Jesus commanded that we seek to bring a fallen brother or sister to repentance, but if they refuse to treat them, quote, as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's from Matthew 18, 17. We need to stop giving a soft landing to people who've jumped off the heaven bound train. Let them hit the ground and discover the painful life that they've chosen. Hopefully, they'll learn and return. I'm not trying to be mean, but the reality is when we continue to have relationships with people who have turned away from Christ, we provide them with tacit acceptance of this lifestyle that they're pursuing. Listen, man, if you're going to follow the devil, then enjoy the fire, man, okay? I'm not going to soften that for you. I'm not bringing a fire extinguisher. Let it burn your clothes off. You need to figure that stuff out. I don't want you to hurt, but you're choosing a lifestyle that is harmful. And if I soften that and I keep it from being harmful, then I perpetuate you pursuing that lifestyle. Jesus commanded that we seek to bring that fallen brother back, and that's what we need to try to do. Honestly, I'd rather have a relationship with an honest atheist than a fake Christian. Then he says, what fellowship has light with darkness? That is, what do I have in common with someone who's living in the darkness of moral depravity or the absence of revelation from God? They basically, this is someone perhaps who has been raised in church and they've turned their back. They're essentially closing their eyes on what has been revealed to them. What worthwhile endeavor can we both commit to me and someone who's turned away from Christ? How much agreement would there be in our decision-making? I could be friendly to a professed Satanist or Wiccan, um, Wiccan, somebody who supposedly practices witchcraft. When I was first a youth minister, the first staff position that I had um, it was a long time ago at First Baptist Church, the Colony, Texas. And there were two young men in my youth group, uh, both by the name of Chris, the two Chrises. Okay. Um, both wonderful young men. Um, both had decent voices. They could both sing. Uh, they were both very active in my youth group. I enjoyed having them there. I really did. Same age. Uh, They were, you know, both like juniors and seniors when I was there. One of these young men has maintained his Christian faith. The other young man, when I reconnected with him on Facebook, said that he's a warlock. What the what? He's practicing Wicca. So now I think the young man is still on my Facebook. He's not. Pushing that any longer, but I don't think he's a practicing Christian either. Okay. Well, what I'm telling you is he said all of those things, and I didn't just say, Get away from me, get away from me, the devil. You know, I, you know, neither did I get into extensive detail and what the world is wrong with you. Cause that's, you know, really what I want to know <laughs> it's, what in the world happened to you, dude? Cause he was the sweetest kid in the world. He really was. He was a very gentle soul. Okay. Um, but you know, what drew him into this? Another young person who was in my youth group back then. Um, and this goes back to the example of not being unequally yoked in a relationship. Uh, this other young man, was, uh, uh, came from a strong Christian home. Uh, it was dysfunctional to one degree or another, but still uh, on the whole, the, you know, the mom at the very least tried to follow Jesus. The dad uh, did some serious things that were probably disturbing and may have caused a, uh, an instability in this young man's faith. But I know that he had a legitimate faith at one point in time. Um, I wasn't the officiant at his wedding, but I was, uh, in the, the bridal or the, the grooms. I was one of the groomsmen. Okay. in fact, I had a picture of me at his wedding. And, uh, the young lady that he married was another, uh, girl in our youth group. Uh, they ended up having three, I think three children together. And in fact, oh gosh, it's probably been a decade ago. He brought. He, it, it wasn't with her, but but the young man I'm referring to, and at least two of his kids came to our church uh, for a Christmas service. In fact, I remember they sat right over there. Um, so then, uh, you know, I didn't hear a whole lot from them for a while. And then I n- discovered that he and his wife had divorced. So that was puzzling because they seemed to have a really you know, good relationship. Um, so then I went to youth camp 2018 or 19. It was the youth camp that um, had to been 2019 because it's when I first got this truck um, and I took uh, Felix who's up there y- leading our youth right now when he was in the youth group and a bunch of teenagers and we took them to uh, youth camp in Colorado. And the young man who I'm referring to uh, had a son who was in a youth group that was at that camp. And so I hadn't seen the kid since he was here and he was like 10 or something. And at that point he was, you know, a teenager, but the kid's attitude was just really, really different. And just like a really strange situation. I just hadn't. I didn't understand what had gone on. Well, here's what had gone on. Apparently, some sort of a extramarital relationship and affair with the young man who had been in my youth group. Okay. And the woman that he got involved with was also a Wiccan. Again, witchcraft. And so, This individual who I know knows better followed that path and just blew up his whole family. See, this is what happens when you give your heart to someone who belongs to something or someone other than Christ. What fellowship has light with darkness? In the years that this church has been in existence, People with a variety of lifestyles and issues have come through our community. LGBT folk, drug dealers, adulterers, hypocrites, thieves, and addicts of many kinds, to name a few. And we accept them as they are. But I preach the truth, right? 150 proof. Those who want to maintain their old lifestyles, they don't stay. I don't push them out the door. They don't feel comfortable being here because they're hearing the truth all the time. Those who put their faith in Jesus are changed. However, faith without a change of heart and mind is at best a feeling and is at worst a delusion. So come to the light. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That's what it says in 1 John 1, 5. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses from all sin. That's 1 John, uh, the first verse was five and then six and seven. So if you won't come to the light, if you won't consistently walk in the light, it is because why? Well, you have something to hide, right? You don't want to bring that ugliness into the light. This is what uh, the same writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John wrote in his gospel, John three, nineteen through twenty one, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works or their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So um, I think Gadget, you were the one last week that were like, Belial, what's, what's Belial? Who's Belial? Well, here's that verse. What accord has Christ with Belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Well, let's first look at this word that's translated in the ESV, accord, it is the Greek word symphonia. If you're listening to the word, you understand that there's an English word that comes from that. What does it sound like? Symphony, symphony right? That's where we get our word symphony. Symphonia, okay? A chord. A symphony, of course, is a well-trained group of musicians who gather together, right? They practice together. They play the same piece of music. They have different instruments, but those instruments are all brought together in this beautiful harmony, right? This beautiful symphony. They're directed, right? They have a conductor up there that's keeping them all in the same you know, rhythm, if you will. So... Um, you know, if you've ever been to the have you ever been to the symphony, you know, right? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing. You like forty or fifty or sixty, whatever musicians, and they're each playing their different instruments, but their instruments are all in tune. They're playing the same piece of music, they're playing their individual parts, right? And they're playing according to the conductor's movement, right? And this is the rhythm that they're playing and so forth. I I saw, I guess, um, I guess these little short videos, are they also called memes? Um, one of these little short videos, kind of like the ones that are on TikTok. Um, by the way, I've tried to download that a couple of times and I, yeah, I can see how it's addictive, but I just, I, I don't understand on TikTok the, the narrator voice. There's a girl who narrates like this and she says and I don't know where they get this and da 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 da, da, da. and we all watch this you know but this is like the length of a TikTok video like you know 60 seconds or so and it's like a meme and so it says something on the on the uh, uh, the line of only a parent could love this so it's a group of kids on stage, obviously, you know, probably elementary school kids, it looks like. And they're on stage. It's obviously at a school. And, you know, it, the video was taken, I think, from probably a cell phone, you know, back in the seats. Friends, it was the most horrible <laughs> <laughs> These kids were not playing together at all. They might have been playing the same piece of music, though it was hard to tell. I don't even know if their instruments were in tune, but I'm thinking this band director was really, really bad. I mean, it was horrible. It wasn't a symphony. It was a cacophony, right? And of course, you know, if you're there, it's like, you know, when your three-year-old gives you, you know, Uh, a coloring page, you know, and it's like, scribble, scribble, scribble. Oh, well, if you, you know, if it wasn't a three-year-old, if it was a 10-year-old, you'd be like, seriously? Did you not learn to color at all? So my point is, a symphony, these people are all, they've got their own instruments, but they're playing the same piece of music. They're playing in the same rhythm. They're playing in harmony with one another, But see, this is what happens and this is what happens in churches all the time when people come in and they all are following their own ideas, their own opinions, right? But even this, just think about this. Let's say you have a a well-trained symphony, okay? Everybody has practiced and almost everybody is following the conductor, except one person. Would you notice it? Oh, of course you would. Everybody's instrument is in tune, except one person or two people. Would you notice that? It would ruin the whole thing, wouldn't it? It's what we find, right, today. It illustrates what happens when those who are in tune with God, playing his music at Christ's direction, allow the ungodly into the band. Belial, here you go, Gadget. Literally, in Greek, it is the word, you would literally say it, Belier. It's a word from the Old Testament that is identified with Satan in the New Testament. Um, Here we have from Vincent's word studies. He says, belial is a transcript of the Hebrew meaning worthlessness or wickedness. The Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, renders it variously by transgressor, impious, foolish, or pest. So, what accord, what alliance, what agreement, what harmony does Christ or his church have with Satan? None. It would be like trying to have a symphony orchestra play with baboons or some other wild animal. So we who are in Christ have an inheritance coming to us. We call this inheritance heaven. Christ died and rose so that this could be so. An unbeliever doesn't share that inheritance. They don't have the same hope, the same confidence, or the same love. It is up to you and I to share the truth and God's love with them convincingly. However, this doesn't mean we put ourselves in any position of reliance upon them for anything. See, that's the key, dependence, reliance. I can love everybody. I can reach out to anybody. I can have a conversation with anybody, but I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm dependent upon them for Happiness or fulfillment or stability, right? Following along, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. The word translated agreement refer, uh, referred to voting the same as another person. Well, we don't vote with the devil, do we? Friends, <laughs> that's practical application in our hyperpolitical world. Are you voting for godless politicians because you've aligned yourself with a party or a tribe rather than God's word? You may have heard people refer to their bodies as temples when it concerns eating healthy or exercising. And that's one valid application. However, the Apostle Paul is doing more than using a metaphor here. He's already made the point that the Corinthian church is a temple of God as is every authentic church. The spirit of God lives within and among all believers. That was back in 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. Paul also teaches that the bodies of individual believers are temples. That's 1 Corinthians again, but this time chapter six, verses 19 and 20. The Holy Spirit lives in the innermost being of every person who believes in Jesus Christ. This is what is promised at the last supper table. This is John fourteen, sixteen through seventeen. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper. That's the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So that's the Holy Spirit. That is who brings Christ into your heart, into the center of your being. Here we read in uh, the Apostle Paul again, this time in Ephesians three, sixteen and 17, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his power through, uh, through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So anywhere and with anyone that God's spirit abides, that person or that place becomes a temple. So what are the implications? They shall be my people. Originally, it was only Israel who was God's people. Um, Deuteronomy 7:6, "For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen to be chosen you, excuse me, to be His own position out of all the peoples out of the face of the earth. However, it's always been God's plan to bless all people, through Abraham, he would bring the seed of the Messiah into the world. And the Messiah would bring all nations and give all of us the opportunity to be God's people. We're called a nation of priests, a holy nation, right? That's who you and I are. That's your identity. Not your relatives, your, your, you know, um, your pedigree and, and so forth. But if you're in Christ, you are a priest. You belong to him. You're part of this holy nation. Well, if I'm part of that, I'm not going to ally or align myself with a godless culture or godless people. So this concludes, and I'm going over right now, but I'm going to, oh, you know, we don't start at exactly seven anymore. So I'm going to go over just a little bit here. Um, there's an extended quotation here freely combining a number of Old Testament passages. So I'm going to read it again. But this combines Leviticus 26, 11 through 12, Isaiah 52, 11, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 20, 34, 37, 27, and Second Samuel 7, 14. It's a statement of privilege and responsibility for those who have entered into the new covenant promised. Uh, going all the way back to Jeremiah, again, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Okay, here it is. I will make, this is the Lord speaking. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from among, uh, from their midst. And this is referring to the time when Israel was captive to the Babylonians. He's like, leave those godless people, right? And be separate from them, says the Lord and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There is holy and there is profane. There is that which belongs to God and that which belongs to the world. And we need to cling to that which belongs to God and we need to turn from that which belongs to the world. It really is that simple. We are... Gaming the system, if you will, we're deceiving ourselves and we're assuredly not deceiving God when we align ourselves and ally ourselves with what is godless and what is worldly, right? So that's really, I mean, I have a lot more notes here, but I'm not going to cover those tonight. And I really wanted to conclude this, but that's really what the Lord is trying to say to us. He's trying to say, be separate from this godless world. Shine the light, right? Be salt and light in the world, but don't put yourself in a position of dependence upon those who are in the world or the world system because you're different, you're special, you're unique, you're holy. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you belong to God. And so really, Your heart doesn't even belong to you anymore. Did you give your heart to Jesus or not? Then it belongs to him. Don't give it to someone else or something else outside of him. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining us online. We appreciate it.